0: you are listening to ubc waco podcast (laughs) are you recording yeah oh okay we can use that as just a scratch track for now we're fortunate today to have erica graham come on up with us erica is a a preacher a writer a storyteller and a teaching pastor at ecclesia in houston Sort of a sister congregation of ours, um, and we will be fortunate to have her with us for the next next week as well. So the next two weeks. So if you would welcome Erica. First of all, I'm so honored to be here today. Um, my husband and I and my baby Jet, we drove up to Waco yesterday from Houston. And I have to be honest, it's been the most eventful 18 hours of our lives, probably. Um, This story just needs to be told, so I'm going to tell it. Um, As we were driving up here, we did one of my favorite things before stopping um, and planning for a week, and that is going to Target. And um, if you are a mom of young children, you know that uh, that section in Target with all the $1, $2, $3 items that can occupy small children for hours is gold. And so we get there and I found this, um, this massive ball that you can blow up and it glows different colors. And my husband looked at me and he said, why did we come to Target? Is this what we came for? And I said, no, but it's $3. So I throw it in, throw it in our cart. We continue to go and get groceries and we're driving to our little Airbnb and as we are trying to get that um, code done and get the key inside, lightning strikes the tree in front of our Airbnb, the whole thing lights up and there's no power in our little house. And I took it upon myself to say, um, I actually have a huge fear that lights up. So thanks to my target purchase, we will have light for our entire family. And I say that because the Holy Spirit works in mysterious ways. And yesterday was my little son's absolute dream night because we're in a pitch black house. A pipe also burst, so that was fun. We're in a pitch black house. The water pressure is light. There's nothing to do but play with this giant glow ball that we're kicking around the house. And um, on top of that, all the fire trucks are at our house because the power line went down over our driveway and it's entangled throughout the tree and yard. So there's fire trucks and a little jet is pointing outside saying, truck, truck, truck. And we're waving at the firemen. So. You know, it sounds traumatic, but it's actually been a blast and fun, especially when it's not your house. <laughs> so um, it's, I had to tell, tell you guys, Waco is amazing. It is not boring at all. But with that, you know, I was told I could um, re-give a sermon. That's, a, that's the beauty of being a, a guest preacher is that you can recycle old sermons but I have to be honest I love and I am a sucker for churches that follow the liturgical calendar and that's what UBC does and I like finding creativity within limits and so one of the texts that happens to fall on the sixth Sunday of Easter which is this Sunday is John five and we just read that and we're going to read it again because I'm a believer that you can never have too much Bible in your sermon so we're going to read it one more time so that it really sinks in, this, this um, sign from the book of John. and It starts out, after this there was a festival of Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. I think this first line is important. So Jesus is coming from a party, a festival. And now he's going to a place where um, it is occupied by sick and paralyzed, and people in need of health. It would be like if you just went from a graduation party to a hospice nursing home. That's the contrast Jesus is facing in this text. It reads, now in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, there is a pool, called in Hebrew Bethzatha, which has 5 porticos. In these lay many ill, blind, lame, and paralyzed people. One man was there, who had been ill for, for 38 years. When Jesus saw him laying there and knew that he had been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? I think that would be an offensive question, really. After 38 years of waiting to visit healing waters, some stranger, because he doesn't know this is Jesus, some stranger comes up to you and says, do you even want to be made well? The ill man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. Jesus said to him, Stand up, take your mat, and walk. Jesus doesn't say, I'll take you to the healing waters that you can become healed. He says, stand up and walk. That's exactly what the man can't do. But at once, the man was made well and he took up his mat and began to walk now that day was a sabbath now that last line is important as well because if you know the rules of jewish law you know that you cannot work on a sabbath and that includes healing so jesus did something really scandalous in this moment is he used the sabbath day to heal I think an argument can be made that chick-fil-a food is healing and perhaps they should open up one more day this story is true but in all seriousness if we look at this story um, you can come up with all kinds of virtues and lessons and wisdom and um, as like a, like a good pastor, I, I have a typical three-point sermon today. I don't always do that, but I picked three main points from this text, and I think there are probably 100. So if you resonate with one of these points, I consider it a success. The first thing that I think this story reminds us of is that waiting can feel like torture, especially if we don't even know that we're waiting. You know, that man, after 37 years, he had no idea that the next year, his entire life was going to change. He didn't even know he was waiting for Jesus or this moment, but in hindsight, it looks like waiting. Waiting. And I think our lives often work that same way. We're waiting for healing in some aspect. And a lot of times after we become healed, it's then we realize just how sick we were before. My husband and I, before we um, had our baby, we will have been married um, 10 years next month. And my grandparents, or my parents were like, where are our grandchildren? Because they just got their first one two years ago but before we had kids we decided that we really wanted to travel we hadn't really traveled a lot together and in 2020 2019 we decided to travel the world and um, not the whole world like we went three places but one of them was Greece And the reason we went to Greece is a really sophisticated theological reason. It's because I watched Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants and I wanted to visit Greece. So we went to Greece and we signed up for this wine tour that everyone told us to do. You visit different wineries. And on our way there, I'm like kind of bickering back and forth with him. I don't drink, so I'm like, why are we on a wine tour? And he's like, I don't drink wine, all wine tastes the same to me. I thought this was your idea. I'm like, everyone told us to do this tour. He's like, you don't drink and I don't drink wine and this was expensive, why are we even here? I'm like, I don't know. And we're bickering back and forth, tired, jet-lagged on vacation, on a tour that makes no sense for our lives. And it was on that tour that I met a lady on the bus as we were going to a winery where I was gonna drink sparkling water and he was gonna say it all tastes the same. And this lady was from Chicago, and I told her, I said, no way, I'm from the Midwest, I'm a Wisconsin girl. And I said, what do you do in Chicago? And she said, I specialize in OCD, I'm a psychotherapist. And I said, no way, I had childhood OCD. And she said, there's actually no such thing as childhood OCD. And I said, how dare you? I am amazing. And I overcame my OCD. When I was young, I um, performed religious rituals in third grade and would compulsively wash my hands until my knuckles would bleed. And I went to treatment and therapy and I had thought I got better. And I wanted this lady to know that she needs to revise all that peer-reviewed research to include the outlier. And she said, no, it it doesn't go away. In fact, if you have a major, uh, a stressful moment in your life, I wouldn't be surprised if you have a flare-up. She said this so casually, and I was just, like, disgusted by her. And I went back, and I thought, how dare? She doesn't know me. How dare she tell me that my OCD did not go away? And um, when we got back to Houston, which is where we live, I realized, you know, I do kind of, like, do these weird, obsessive things, but I don't know what's OCD. And I made an appointment with an OCD therapist, and I've been going to OCD group therapy and therapy every single week the past three and a half years. And when I read this story about this man who was waiting to be healed, and he couldn't even imagine what it would feel like to be healed from a sickness he'd lived with for so long. I think of myself a little bit in that story. And that moment that I'm actually not crazy. These these, um, compulsions and rituals that I find myself in, although they look differently today, It's still the same stinking disease, and now I have access to the healing waters and treatment and freedom that comes with recovery. I think oftentimes we wait, and we don't know we're waiting. And at the same time, I think that oftentimes we can't even imagine what healing would feel and look like bet that was true for that guy as I know it was true for me you know Ephesians praises God a God who is able to do abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine I think Jesus healed that man in a way that was beyond what he ever imagined the second thing that I think this story invites us to imagine, is how we can not only participate in our own healing, individually, but communally as well. You know, from an individual standpoint, in this story, I think of the serenity prayer, which is God grant us the serenity to accept the things we cannot change, courage to change the things we can, and wisdom to know the difference. So this man was able to accept what he couldn't change, and offer himself surrendering to the possibility that he could walk again. And what I like about this story is that he had to be an active participant in his own healing. He couldn't just lay there and Jesus magically heal him. He had to get up and walk and and have some faith and some buy-in to his healing journey and story. But more importantly, I believe this story is really about much more than the individual, and it's about systems and communities. It's about the people that get kicked and pushed and elbowed aside and are walked over, forgotten, blinded, not seen, time after time, year after year, 38 years go by, and these people are being forgotten, passed by, They don't even matter. Mother Teresa has this prayer that I love. And I believe in the mystical power of prayer. But this prayer also points to the active power of being a praying person. She says, I used to pray that God would feed the hungry or do this or that. But now I pray that he will guide me to do whatever I'm supposed to do, what I can do. I used to pray for answers, but now, I pray, now I'm praying for strength. I used to believe that prayer changes things, but now I know that prayer changes us, and we change things. I think it's normal after mass shootings, after looking beyond our borders and seeing all the people that are thirsty and hungry, I think it's normal to question God. To think, how can I believe in a God that would let people go thirsty? How can I believe in a God that would let people go hungry? And what I love about this prayer is that perhaps God is asking us, How can you let people go hungry? How can you let people go thirsty? How can you pass by the same individual for 38 years without knowing they just need a helping hand to the healing waters? The story invites us to an individual resurrection, but it also invites us to a communal healing And it points to the reality that we are responsible for the suffering of others, just as much as we are for our own. And that it's not a full surrender or a grasp of control, but it's a combination of both, of figuring out what is Holy Spirit work and what is our work and how can we do that together. When I think about healing as communal and this prayer for Mother Teresa, I think about the time when I was teaching high school English to, freshmen, soft, to freshmen, um, freshmen and sophomores at a low-income high school in Texas. And one of my students came up to me and she said, Miss Graham, do you think you could get a prescription from me? And I said, I'm not a dealer, no, I'm not, I don't want to be involved. And she said, no, my mom has a sinus infection. And it won't go away. I just need it. We need an antibiotic. She told me to ask you. And I looked up online and I said, here's a bunch of clinics where your mom could go to and receive um, free health care. She said, no, we already know about those clinics, San Jose, Christchurch and Katie. They're great, but but my uncle was just deported and my mom doesn't want to go anywhere where she has to give any information. So do you think you could just get her this antibiotic? I think about her mom watching people like Miss Graham have access to the healing waters, watching people walk in and out of hospitals and clinics, and how long she's waiting in fear for her own healing, because people aren't seeing her. They're pushing her aside or walking past her. Those are the people I think this story calls us to remember. I remember talking to um, your old pastor, Josh, about his new position. And he's now fundraising for a clinic out of Baylor that's going to provide health care for those that don't have it and I see that sacred work in this story I told Josh I said oh you're still a pastor it just looks different we all have the ability to live these stories of Scripture you don't have to be up here preaching in our own lives we're constantly called to reimagine what's possible if we take this scripture seriously And finally, a last tidbit of wisdom that I took from this story is that now is always the right time to say yes to Christ's healing. Now, what you don't know, or what you probably do know, but we didn't read it here today, is that the rest of the story is all about how much trouble Jesus gets in for healing on the Sabbath. And I have to be honest as somebody who um, has a pretty healthy respect for authority and likes to follow rules. I think if I was Jesus in that moment, I would have said, you know what? I'm not allowed to heal you today. I'm going to come back tomorrow morning and that way I'm not breaking any laws and no one's mad at me and um, you'll be healed just one day later. But Jesus didn't care about the rules of Sabbath. He knew that now was always the right time to do the right thing. And I'm not sure that I always live that in my own life. I know I don't. And this story reminds me that it's not the rules that need to be followed or all this, this pettiness. Oftentimes, what is right becomes apparent to us in the moment. And the Holy Spirit often whispers to us in subtle ways, reminding us now is the best time to do the right thing, even if it's breaking a rule or if there are gonna be consequences that follow. And so I think this story, like so many in the Bible, gives us an invitation to not just actively heal our own pain and accept help from Christ and God, but also to become the healers. That when we pray this Mother Teresa prayer, that we ask for healing, but we also ask that we may be the hands and feet that notice those lines just short of the healing waters and that we can see a part In building a better world just as Jesus did in that moment UBC let me pray with you dear God I pray that this story will inspire us to see how you work and move in the communities we live in I pray that we will reimagine what it looks like to be participants in your sacred love story so that we too can be a part of the communities that heal and shape a better story on earth as it is in heaven. In your name we pray. Amen.